Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about evangelism, and then we're going to talk to one of the new organists for the Chicago Cubs. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, happy Monday, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us. Hope you had a good weekend. Ian, I can promise you from the outset, I'm going to be especially energetic today because it's a one-day work week for me, and then the Fromms are going on vacation. I'm a little giddy right now, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, you know, we alternate who kind of, quote-unquote, drives each week, and I like that you decided to leave on vacation during (laughs) the week that you're supposed to be driving. You're welcome. You're welcome. That means a lot. Appreciate it. Last time I went on vacation was 2004. So have a good time. <laughs> you had that whole thing when we first started the show when you guys had a baby. That was practically a vacation. That was like a week. Yeah, having a baby and going on vacation are practically synonymous. They pretty much were. Well, a couple places you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show, online, 1160hope.com, and our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. And we wanted to start today's show because, uh, Ian, I don't know if you felt like a, like a proud parent. That might be a, the wrong way to put it. Maybe Big Brother last night as we were, I turned mm-hmm. on the Cubs game and I heard the organist playing. Uh, at the uh, at Wrigley, and I turned to my son who was watching, and I said, "That's our producer." And my son was like just wide eyed. So we want to hear from our producer, John yeah. Benedek, uh, who was the organist at the Cubs game last night, and will be the organist for many of the Cubs games at Wrigley. John, I'm anxious to hear what was that like last night. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cloud nine's an understatement. I'll be honest with you. I, <laughs> I'm sure. Like there, trust me. I was like hyperventilating <laughs> on the way there because I'm like this this could be this could go one of two ways it could be amazing or I'll just I'll, I'll I'll fail it'll be loud and then I'll leave and cry and just an hour and 15 minutes of of dread and excitement and somewhere in between but um I don't know it, it, eventually when you're when you're sitting down there and you, you you go over the rundown you know what to expect it's about doing your job and most yeah. of those nerves go away, and uh, they gave me the hour before the game to just play for an hour. I played a bunch of songs and played some suggestions wow. that I reached out to, you know, as many people as I, I cast a pretty wide net on Twitter and Facebook. Like, mm-hmm. How, what should I play? What do you guys want to hear? And I, you know, the the feedback was immense. It was overwhelming, and it was awesome because people like that. People like contributing to the the the, the game day experience, even if. There's no one there. People like I, I, right. I contributed to the, that soundtrack, and it was awesome. Yeah. What What was it like without people in the stadium? Like, I mean, it, that must have been exciting, but also maybe eerie. I mean, it's oh, sort of like it's, you're. It's the first. It's a milestone moment, but still, it's unprecedented by a lot of metrics. What, what was that like? Oh, it was weird. I mean, it was new for everybody. First of all, like no right. one in that ballpark. Pat Hughes has been doing this for. Gee, 30 years for the Cubs, and he it's just so strange to everybody. Right. And you know, I, I think it's the, 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 the silver lining is I get to work out some kinks and, and try some things without, <laughs> yeah. without much <laughs> right. you know, uh, con, uh, consequence. But given it was a scrimmage game, but it was also right. on national TV and stuff, I, I, there was some aspect of that pressure, but also that knowledge that this season is going to be an anomaly for everybody. And uh, I think it's going to be good, but it was weird nonetheless. I'm sure. So I saw you, we're just going to turn this into the John interview. I saw you uh, 
you had, I think, on Facebook, uh, walking up to the booth, which yeah. I thought was a really cool angle. Walk people through, like, when you get there, how do you even get, where is the organ? How do you <laughs> get there? What it t- well, Get us from parking lot to sitting behind that organ. Okay. Uh, step one, park. Then, no, uh, Hold on, I'm, I'm writing these down. Hold on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our uh, the parking lot's a few blocks north, and uh, it's usually the season ticket holder lot, but no one's there, so everyone uh, who's working right, the right. game parks there. And you get in. There's a this specific entrance. I got my credentials, and you 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 walk up the same ramps and catacombs that the fans walk. And the entrance is literally right off of one of the main aisles to get into the press box. It's a surprisingly non-intricate ballpark. I mean, everything is hmm. basically in the open. It's I mean, it's 106 years old now, so it, it, a lot of it's just there. It's like a warehouse. But uh, they renovated the, the, the box, so there's air conditioning now. There wasn't any prior to this year. And wow. I know. Think about that. Uh, Wild. And you... In the Oregon, you probably have the best view in the world up there. They're, the sight lines are pretty much perfect. You're about five stories up, and you got a perfect view of the the field and the lake in the distance. And it's just it's a great place to sit and watch and and, and engage. Well, dude, we're we're super proud of you, man. It's Absolutely. been so fun to kind of cheer you on, <laughs> even socially distanced. And like, yeah. it's amazing even seeing previous guests of our show start following you because of how amped they are. Yeah, to have met you, and so I know this weird. is like a dream come true. It's so strange. And a long time coming. Could, couldn't happen to a better dude, man. We're we're super excited for you. No, thanks, Absolutely, thanks, guys. And last thing, when are you on next? When is uh when is the first regular season move well, for I'm, you? I'm doing season opener, so this week, and uh, I get this weekend plus the following, and that those are the next two I know of for sure. So I'll I'll close nice. out the month. Well, if you are a friend, a fan of the common good, turn up uh, your TVs while you're watching the game and uh, know that that's John back there uh, on the organ. As Ian said, we're proud of you, man. We're uh, excited for the free tickets once they let fans back in. <laughs> I can guarantee nothing. <laughs> I totally understand. <laughs> oh, anyway, we thought that'd be a fun way to start because not everybody, uh, not everybody gets to work with the organist for the Chicago Cubs. So we're excited about that. Do want to take a quick uh, hard right turn here and talk a little bit about the coronavirus. Uh, we've got three articles that are up on our Facebook page. The first says that uh, coronavirus cities that are hit hard by COVID-19 are weighing a more stay-at-home orders, but state leaders are pushing back. And so kind of this back and forth right now. Another article says that Donald Trump in an interview said he's a believer in masks, but will not mandate them nationally. He wants to trust people in his words to do the right thing. And then at Forbes, uh, 600 physicians sent a letter to doc, uh, to President Trump saying that lockdowns are a mass, ca- mass casualty kind of down the line, mental health and other things. And so, Ian, those are kind of the ones that we have up at our Facebook page. Wondering, uh, just give you the chance, jump into one of those, kind of what's standing out to you as to where we are at here with the COVID-19 pandemic. This one from Forbes uh, had a line that stood out to me. It said, suicide hotline phone calls have increased 600%. Mm-hmm. Uh, 150,000 Americans per month who would have had new cancer detected through routine screening from missed cancer diagnosis to untreated heart attacks and strokes to increased risks of suicide. We are alarmed at what appears to be a lack of consideration for the future health of our patients. It's just one more. I mean, I know that you mentioned three articles kind of rapid fire yep. and I know that it's everything's highly politicized. It is just amazing 
how divisive this issue continues to like i just saw a youtube video earlier today and two guys are just sort of punking you know they're in california somewhere wearing masks and they were uh they had two boxes and they were offering free masks to people not wearing masks so okay. they say hey sir how are you we're uh, we're giving away free masks if you like one and the responses were vile i was like are you again maybe really? people were keen to like they were being a little uh a little snarky perhaps but just realizing more and more like how much this conversation raises everyone's collective blood pressure. Right. And I, I, I mean, I get people writing me privately all the time. Like how do I navigate this with a family that completely disagrees or even a spouse that disagrees? Like it's been, I don't know. It's been way trickier than I, than I really ever thought it would be. I had a conversation just like you're talking about with somebody who was sharing a story for to me about their kind of extended family. They were just having a fun zoom call. They live across the country, parents, kids, uh, not kids, but like grown adult children. Hmm. And uh, it turned into just a knockdown drag out over masks and the call just ended. <laughs> and I was like, Oh wow. my God, that wow. is so hard. So yeah. we're guessing that's some of you out there. So we've got all three of these articles. They're going to be up on our Facebook page, kind of the state of the country, you know, wh- whether it be what Donald Trump said about masks or, uh, what should the hard hit states be doing right now? We would love your feedback over there at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to be joined by Jonathan Carswell, a Christian bookseller and publisher. We're going to talk about all things books and a ministry he has uh, to churches to get good Christian books into the hands of people who need to read them. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us on this Monday afternoon. Remember, you can find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. Find us online uh, at 1160hope.com. Also, Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. And you can get our podcast. Wherever it is you get your podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. I heard we have new reviews. Ian teased it all week last week. I never did hear what that review was. Uh, oh, do you want maybe, me to? Do you want me to share it? I do, I do. Well, right, maybe, we'll, maybe later I will. Okay, <laughs> I appreciate it. Hey, we're going to talk about an article from one of our favorite theologians and author, Scott McKnight, uh, out of Christianity Today, called "Evangelism in One Word." But before we do that, let me tell you about something going on here at the station. Doctor David Jeremiah. And Turning Point Ministries are giving away hope all month long on AM 1160. For a limited time, visit 1160hope.com slash contest to receive your free He Is bookmark. This is a bookmark that's a wonderful reminder of the many names of Christ. You will also automatically be registered to win a brand new Jeremiah Study Bible and a pair of Apple AirPods. So again, here's how you here's how you do all of that. Just go to 1160hope.com slash contest. There you can register and you might even win. Uh, so that's what we're doing here. So wait, the- does, the, does the bookmark say free he is or is the bookmark free and it says he is? <laughs> You're going to get me on this bookmark every time. <laughs> free he is is not good grammar, I don't think. Um, free. And then in quotes, he is bookmark. <laughs> I understand that. I got he is bookmark, which is free. Oh, <laughs> there you go. Okay, okay, okay. I'll give you that. Thanks. thanks. <laughs> I, I just said, yes, yeah, Oxford comma, I didn't hear. I wasn't sure. So it's a shirt that says free he is. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a picture of Yoda, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> at Christianity Today, uh, Scott McKnight, he has a blog over there called Jesus Creed. Often he will write there or he will have guest bloggers. This one is written by Scott McKnight. It says this, evangelism in one word. When Luke summarizes the apostles preaching, he can reduce it to one word. Ian, why don't you tell us a little bit about what Dr. McKnight wrote here? I would love to, and I know that I'm on record of saying this, but I'll say it again. When Scott McKnight speaks, I tend to listen. That's right. Uh, if you're not familiar with his work, I highly recommend checking out some of his writing, but the blog is a great place to start. He says, uh, in working again through my translation of the book of Acts, I began to record passages where Luke, the storyteller, put into words a summary of what the apostles preached when they were gospeling. Here are the verses in the NRSV with the appropriate words in bold. Uh, I'll yell the words in bold so you know. <laughs> nice. Uh, Acts 8.35, then Philip began to speak, and starting with this scripture, he proclaimed to him the good news about Jesus. I won't do that again. That was awful. Um, (laughs) Acts 11.20, but among them were some men of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. And then there's a couple more passages here, Acts 17, Acts 18, Acts 19, Acts 20, 28, 28. He says, so here are eight or nine. One could combine the last two instances of summarizing early Christian gospeling. This gospeling is being done in the first generation. This gospeling is done is being done by the apostles and those formed by them, Philip and others. I believe in the Bible as God's revelation to us, and I believe Christian theology has to begin first with Scripture, prima scriptura. I also believe if our framing of theology is not according to Scripture, we are called to adjust it until it conforms to and is consistent with the gospel. This is what I do in the King Jesus Gospel, which is a book, and it's phenomenal. The uniform message can be reduced to one word, Jesus, or Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus and the resurrection, repentance toward God and faith in Jesus, God's kingdom, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one of these summaries of apostolic gospeling contains a word about salvation, justification, reconciliation, redemption, substitution, and that's worthy of note. Why not? Okay, so before I answer why not, why do you think, Brian? Why do I think why not? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's great uh, because it does feel like the gospels and then the epistles have such laser focus on Jesus, uh, the story of Jesus, who Jesus is, uh, that, uh, that that's probably the reason, but to be honest with you, this is why I love doing stories like this or articles like this. I hadn't really thought about it in these terms. So I'm interested to see what he's got to say. Well, let me just read the rest of it because it's not super long and it packs a punch. He says, not because redemption is not the impact of that gospeling, for it is, but the message, according to Luke, is shaped by the person, by Jesus, and not by what he accomplished. Oh, boy, somebody's already angry. Uh, He did it all. He accomplished it all. But the focus of the apostolic preaching was Jesus, who he was, what he did, what he accomplished in that order. Gospeling today could learn from the apostles. We could learn that gospeling others is about talking about Jesus, announcing Jesus, and generating conversations about Jesus. I promise you it will get to redemption because it leads there, as can be seen with Peter in Acts 10. And telling others about Jesus is attended by the Spirit who will prompt repentance, forgiveness of sins, and redemption, that too, in Acts 10. I'd love to know what what you think of that particular take. I. As is often the case with McKnight, I tend to agree with him. I, like you said, when you went, oh, some people, I, I even in my church will talk about uh, primarily, you know, the, the good news is about what Jesus has accomplished for us. And his point, I think, is a really good one that, no, it's about Jesus. 
and as you tell the story of Jesus, as you dive into Jesus, it's going to get to what he accomplished and what happened through him, but that we skip over. Um, but I think most of us, right? Most people would go, no, I agree, Christian. It's all about Jesus. But he obviously wrote this because he thinks he we get this wrong. So what is the danger, do you think, when we focus first on what he accomplished or when we don't do it the way that McKnight is talking about here? Oh, man. A couple of things come to mind. One, and we understand this in relationships. If if the way that we talk about a relationship is only what that person accomplishes for me mm-hmm. at a human level, we would see that as problematic, right? Like in a marriage if I were to ask you to talk about your wife and you just simply talked about the things she did or the benefits she provided, mm-hmm. um, everyone would say, Brian, that is a really unhealthy take on your, you know what I mean? Like that's, we, we yeah. know that. I also think that the danger is we are, and again, a lot of this is the result of the enlightenment. This, I don't think this is how Christ followers necessarily thought pre enlightenment, at least not pervasively. We tend to think, of everything as utilitarian as as some sort of exchange or does this work or how will this accomplish blah, 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 blah. I mean, there's much more blatant examples of it where clearly Jesus is the mascot, not the Messiah. You know, he's like the cheerleader and he's, you know, there's, there's obvious reasons, obvious depictions of that. But I think much more subtly when we only look to Jesus for Hmm. what he does or what he accomplishes or the entrance to heaven, I get when I die again, that's, that's part of it, but I think we we miss out then on words like allegiance and lordship and submission and surrender because if all, if the whole goal really is just so that I go to the good place and not the bad place, then we're not going to really understand what it means to be formed in the likeness of Jesus because that's not really our objective. We just want the exchange of like, right? I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. So I think, yeah, I think what McKnight is getting here is is really significant. Uh, in the last minute we have, there m- literally might be people confused by his use of the verb, his use of the word gospeling. Uh, yeah. how, how would you define, what do you think, what does he mean? Someone out there is going, I don't understand this word gospeling. What is that? Uh, so, I mean, the gospel we, as good news. Mm-hmm. And I think you can be, you can become so innocuous phrase that we forget that, that the, the news needs to be proclaimed. But you think of even the root of the word uh, evangelism. You know, that comes from the Evangelion, which is the telling, the proclamation of the of yeah. the good news. And it was actually a term used before Christians. You know, it was like if a king was off a battle and they won the battle, they'd send somebody by horse ahead of the armies back to the home country to proclaim the good news. That person would be an evangelist. Hey, the battle's been won. And that's the image that, you know, the early church and Jesus himself used to describe what it is to proclaim good news. So I think right. when we confuse telling good news to bashing over the head. Uh, it's no wonder that people, I think, uh, respond negatively to that. Absolutely. So as always, when Scott McKnight writes, he, it's worth reading. Whether you agree or disagree with him, it is certainly worth reading. Uh, it is up at our Facebook page, The Common Good Radio Show. You can also find it at ChristianityToday.com. Coming up next, we're going to talk about a weird phrase, respectable sins. That's going to be next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you here with us on this Monday afternoon. Ian, I I didn't realize we got started the show asking John about Wrigley Field and all sorts of other things. I never did ask you, how was your weekend? Anything fun that you guys did this beautiful past weekend? I mean, when you compare my weekend to playing the organ at Wrigley, it really does <laughs> feel like nothing. Like, why, why, why should I even tie? I don't even remember now. 
Uh, yeah, the weather was nice-ish. At times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the weather was nice-ish at times. At a, at a really, really difficult uh, funeral on Saturday. Oh. That, was really, that was really, really tough. But oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we had yeah had some good family time, connected with friends. It was good. Is it all right for you? It was good. It was a, a little dominated by my son had a baseball tournament, and then we're you know you're dodging. Uh, baseball really makes you very aware of rain and possible rain and what's coming. Yeah, <laughs> right. So we were dodging rain clouds a lot yesterday. He was supposed to play a couple games, ended up only playing one game. Uh, but it was fun. It's fun to watch them play baseball and sit with other families. Uh, went and swam in a pool for a while, but you know. Did I mention we're going on vacation tomorrow? So that became a lot of the focus of the weekend to like yeah. get so ready for I vacation. Not going to be the last time that's brought up today. <laughs> I, don't, I don't doubt that at all. <laughs> but no, it was a good weekend, but it is good to be back together. So uh, Tim Chalice, I believe that's how you say his last name, C-H-A-L-L-I-E-S, Tim Chalice, a well-known blogger, uh, wrote at his blog something fascinating about uh, respectable sins. He wrote respectable sins of the reformed world. Let me just read the beginning of it. Uh, and then I'd love your take on this idea of respectable sins. He says, Jerry Bridges gave many gifts to the church, not the least of which was his 20, uh, 2007 book, Respectable Sins. In it, he coined a term that describes a whole category of sins that might otherwise escape our attention. Quote, unquote, respectable sins are behaviors that Christians, sometimes individually, individually and sometimes corporately, regard as acceptable, even though the, the, the Bible describes them as sinful. They are subtle or refined in such a way that we may even dress them up to become a kind of virtue. Uh, Jerry Bridges offers many examples, anxiety and frustration, discontentment, un- unthankfulness, impatience and irritability, worldliness, and so on. One tricky aspect of this list of respectable sins is that in its context uh, can change over time. What was respectable in one era, era can be scandalous in another before once again fading back to respectability. Today, I'd like to offer a few suggestions, he says, of sins we may consider respectable here in 2020 with a special focus on sins that are fostered and spread online. So that's his introduction. Uh, yeah. I'm, I was uh, unfamiliar with this phrase, respectable sins. What do you, uh, what do you think of this concept of the, the respectable sin? Well, and it seems a little bit like he's using acceptable and respectable interchangeably. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Even now having looked at the list, I think, yeah, I think there's certainly things here that we sort of excuse, but it does feel like by and large, most of the things that we're going to mention, I don't, I don't know a lot of Christians that would put it in the category of respectable, but maybe like permissible or not that big a deal. You know what I mean? Like I would probably, I'd probably change that if it were up to me and no one's asking. Also, I, I did, uh, I did Google how to spell or how to pronounce his last name. I thought maybe this would be helpful if you were familiar here. One, one second, just one moment. Charlie's. Chalies. Chalies. Yeah. Okay. Chalies. Yeah. So that's that's what the internet says, and I don't. Who knows if that's actually accurate or not? But um, do you want to get into this list now? Yeah. Let's do the list. Number one. So again, he's focusing on what would be respectable, or you use a good phrase, acceptable sins uh, here in 2020. The first one he gives is suspicion. This is a polarized age that is made worse by news outlets and social media that thrive on praising insiders while vilifying outsiders. The ideal of objectivity has been replaced by the vice of suspicion. While the Bible does praise wisdom and discernment, it rejects suspicion, especially toward our fellow believers. Mm -hmm. We have no right to doubt others by default or to have a cautious distrust of them 
as if they are guilty until proven innocent. We cannot allow ourselves to be suspicious of the actions, motives, or salvation of brothers and sisters in the Lord. While we always need to be on guard against false teaching and false teachers within the church, we equally need to be on guard against suspicion within our heart. There's nothing respectable about it. That's a good first one. Yeah, the second one's going to pack a punch. Gossip. Our ubiquitous digital devices and always on social media have given us the ability to communicate with unparalleled speed and scope. But with this great power comes a sobering responsibility for the Bible often warns about the power of our words and our tendency to use them poorly. Both life and death are in the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. We are responsible to not only speak the truth about others, but also to turn away from those who do not. After all, it takes two to gossip, and just as it is a sin to speak ill of others, it's a sin to listen undiscerningly. Yet the Christian world, and perhaps especially the Reformed Christian world, it is absolutely chock... Whoa, what is that word? Chock-a-block? Never heard of that. It is absolutely chock-a-block with gossip. From the pulpit to the pew, from the conference green rooms to the conference live streams, gossip is rampant. It is whispered in the name of important information and blogged in the name of discernment both ways of dressing it up in respectable apparel. But if it isn't true and isn't edifying and it isn't necessary, it's gossip. Truly gossip may be the besetting sin of this movement and a major contributor to uh, her current and coming collapse. Wow. That is quite an ending sentence there. It is interesting too, because I heard someone once say, um, you know, when you're like having a, a prayer time, AKA gossip circle, I'm like, <laughs> Oh boy, which is certainly not true of all prayer times, but no, I, no, I did no, sure. recently they said, Beware of the person that mistakes gossip for bonding. I thought mm. that was pretty insightful. Sometimes like, ooh, sharing this thing with somebody else can feel like, ooh, we're getting closer. Like, well, all you're doing is slamming someone that's not in the room. That's not honoring. That's not the way to go. Yeah, that's good. Number three here is slander. Closely connected to gossip is slander. When we slander another person, we utter false statements meant to damage their reputation. The way we can make this sin respectable is to insist that we are warning others away from a false teacher and protecting naive and helpless sheep. We are only damaging that person's reputation because we have such love and concern for others. What we tend to do then is pass on information we have heard through the channels of gossip, but have not verified or validated. And so we follow the lead of people who have fabricated information for the ugliest of motives, and we spread it around as if it is true. That is slander, kind of the cousin of gossip there. Uh, yeah, that's a painful one. So here's one. I don't a word I don't hear all that often. Meddling. Neil yeah. Postman once asked this question. How often does it occur that information provided you on morning radio whoops, or television or in the morning newspaper causes you to alter your plans for the day or to take some action that you would not otherwise have taken or provides insight into some problem you are required to solve? In most cases, the answer is not very often. The same might be asked of information we glean from social media or other sources of Christian news and information. How often do we actually do anything about it? And perhaps even better, how often is it really our responsible uh, responsibility to do something about it? Postman lamented the impotent cycle in which the news elicits from you a variety of opinions about which you can do nothing except to offer them as more news with, about which you can do nothing. I'm convinced we experience something similar today where we receive news about which we can do nothing. So what we do is pass it on, broadcasting our opinion, our joy and our outrage, but passing it on is not a neutral act. In fact, uh, it can be an act of meddling, the action of a busybody, broadcasting opinions about situations that have happened at a great distance from us that do not concern us, about which we can do nothing and about which we know very little, seems to match the very definition of meddling. I have thoughts on that one, but I'll let us keep going. 
<laughs> for the sake of time, I want to know your thoughts now. For the sake of time, let me hit the last two. The last two are idleness. Uh, it talks about social media. It says it can unleash great gifts, talents, but people can also use social media to be tremendously unproductive. Their use of social media can reflect idleness and indolence. Uh, so number one, there being idleness. And the next one, impugning. To impugn is to dispute the truth, validity, or honesty of another person's motives. Wow, that's a hard one right there. So impugning and idleness. Anyway, we would love to know what you think of this concept uh, of the respectable sin. And maybe what else would you add to the list? Which ones would yeah. you dispute? You can do that at our Facebook page. So as we say, the first hour is in the books. Looking uh, forward to being together. Uh, coming up next, we're going to talk about uh, two separate deaths over the weekend of Congressman John Lewis and then of theologian and author J.I. Packer. We're going to discuss those next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey, everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to discuss the passings of Congressman John Lewis and author and theologian J.I. Packer. And then we're going to end the segment and end the show with some good news. You're listening to The Common Good. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, as a reminder, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, find us on Twitter and Instagram at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. And uh, get our podcast, wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, that really does help us as you kind of share the podcast and review it. It really does help us, helps other people find the common good. And uh, so we are grateful for those of you who do it. Well, this weekend, uh, there was the passing of two uh, kind of legends in their field or in their areas. And the first uh, was Congressman John Lewis. And uh, Ian, I'd have to say I was certainly very aware of John Lewis, but once someone passes and you start watching the retrospectives and reading the articles, uh, John Lewis led an extraordinary uh, and impactful life uh, in uh, in uh, America and shaping the, especially the civil rights movement. Just wondering your reflections when you heard or maybe read about the death of John Lewis. Yeah, it, it was... Odd. I, I feel like we've lost so many people this last year and I don't know, man, everyone hits you different because of your relationship to their writing or your exposure to their work or whatever. But I don't know. It was a very strange, I was like walking somewhere. I was like, it just showed up on my phone and I, I legitimately just stopped walking for a second. I don't, it was very strange. It sort of hit me 
felt like a little bit of a, a punch to the gut. And again, he was 80, you know, so, mm-hmm. so that 80s um, still, I think too young battling but, cancer. Right. right yeah. Right. 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 And uh, he had been for a while, right? Yes. On and off for sure. Yep. So the, the article, I think you actually posted it in the link dump, but I, I actually really did like the, uh, the Christianity article because it, I just thought it gave such a, such a helpful kind of perspective. Like you were saying, like the breadth of someone's life. Sometimes you can sort of like think of someone in a sort of distant ethereal sense, but then when it's all like condensed into one article, you're like, wow, what a, what a juggernaut, you know? Yeah. The one thing that I wasn't aware, uh, I knew that uh, he had obviously played an instrumental role on the March in Selma, uh, but I wasn't aware that he was the youngest speaker uh, on the famous rally where Martin Luther King then gave his I Have a Dream speech. Mm-hmm. And so John Lewis was the youngest speaker to speak there. And I heard this in the retrospective this week. I don't know if you'd ever heard this, uh, that the Kennedy administration, they were particularly worried about what John Lewis was going to say. And so they had people ready and waiting to start to cut his mic and just start playing music if they were unhappy with what he said. And he was the only one they were really worried about. Wow! wow. And so they didn't cut it. But to think about that, you know, all the way back there, he's given speeches at this young age. He's marching and getting beat up uh, crossing that bridge. Uh, and then to be a congressman for 30 whatever years uh, to the point now where he uh, kind of when he left us was just kind of uh, one of, if not the esteemed figure of the House of Representatives. And so uh, especially in this time that we find ourselves in right now, I found it very poignant. Uh, that he, that uh, that he passed, and I think of you know President Obama, uh, former President Obama said this uh, about John Lewis. He said he believed that in all of us there exists the capacity for great courage, a longing to do its right, a willingness to love all people, and extend to them their God-given rights to dignity and respect. And it's because he saw the best in all of us that he will continue, even in his passing, to serve as a beacon in that long journey towards a more perfect union. So I thought that was well put. Yeah. And so uh, <clears throat> the passing of John Lewis, if you don't know much about him, I would encourage you to go read. And in fact, biographer John Meacham just later this year, I believe, is coming out with a book about uh, J- uh, John Lewis. And he said that the last time he spoke with John Lewis, Lewis's last words to him were keep the faith, keep the faith. So hmm. uh, very interesting. And then also we learned at the age of 93, uh, theologian and uh you know, author J.I. Packer passed away at the age of 93. So uh, what was your interaction? Did you read a lot of J.I. Packer? What was uh, kind of his influence in your uh, kind of in your forming of your theology? Yeah, I mean, he. I don't want to overuse the word instrumental, but like knowing God, for example, was yes. I, I remember that being massively significant when I read it. I think I read a lot of Jay Packer early, like this was before even like my, um, you know, my formal training. I, I feel like Packer was a name that I was familiar with from like youth pastors that had recommended him. And we, we just had, I don't know. It's very interesting because looking back, there's certainly stuff you don't agree 100% with any theologian ever. Like, I don't, right. I don't, I don't even know that that's a thing, but there's, there's something about, cause like knowing God came out in the seventies, I think. And I was, I was just flipping through some, I, I must've pulled it up online. There was like excerpts or something. And I was like, man, a lot of this is still really, really relevant right now to think that, you know, something 
decades ago could speak so pointedly to some of the stuff, at least that I was feeling personally. I don't know. Like that's, that's to me, good theology is, is obviously partially about just like rigorous study and preparation, but the Packers seem to have just like this heart that I always sort of resonated with, I think. And um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Did, did you have a, uh, a relationship with his writing? I just knowing God. I mean, that book, if you've never read Knowing God by Jay Packer, that feels like yeah. one of the must reads, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and so just, I did have an, and uh, I'm, I'm 99% sure it was Jay Packer. If I get this wrong, forgive me. But uh, Jay Packer, I believe when I was at Wheaton came and spoke and did like a Q&A session. Uh, and I had a friend who was, uh, he's like, I'm going to get him on this theology question. Like, I'm going to get J.I. Packer. And uh, it was around, I believe, Packer, mm, may, he may, uh, he was talking about annihilationism, I believe. And uh, J.I. Packer, my friend thought he was, he was kind of being really smart and got up and asked this question and thought he'd trick him. And J.I. Packer, with great humility, just said, son, I know what you're trying to, an- what you're trying to ask me, but I'm only going to answer what you just asked me. And you didn't ask me what you meant to ask. <laughs> no kidding. Wow. And, he, and my buddy just sat down. Wow. <laughs> it was just really good. It, it was one of those moments, but uh, the gospel coalition wrote a great article uh, kind of reflecting upon the life of J.I. Packer. Ivan Mesa wrote it at the gospel coalition. And I thought I'd end this segment just with this. It's called the final words to the church. Uh, Mesa did this interview with J.I. Packer, and it's really some great stuff, uh, kind of not long before uh, his passing. And he wrote this, Mesa wrote this, as I wrapped up my interview with Packer, I asked him what would be his final words to the church. After 10 second pause, Packer said, glorify Christ, then adding every way, glorify Christ every way. Now that Packer, Mesa goes on the right, now that Packer is in the presence of his savior, I can't think of a more fitting summary of a life well lived and a charge for the church of the risen Christ. That, man, what a great answer. Glorify Christ every way. I would think, you know, kind of closing the segment out, now would be a good time to go read Knowing uh, knowing Christ or Knowing God. I mean, uh, I would say, wouldn't you agree? Every person should really take the time to read that book. Yeah, I, and I'm not just saying that because of his recent passing either. Like it really, I hadn't even looked at it honestly for years. You know, and you, when you're in school, you're not. For me, at least, there's not a lot of leisure reading happening in my life right now. And sometimes books can be really meaningful that you sort of forget about. But there, yeah, there was something about his his tone, his heart, his even his style and approach to writing. I thought was, and it, and I will go down in history. I think as as one of the greats. Absolutely. Another question he was asked as we closed, he was asked for a world magazine quoted him here for a simple summation of the gospel. How would you uh, summarize the gospel? And Packer answered with three words, God saves sinners. (laughs) Mm. So uh, that's J.I. Packer. So a loss, big loss uh, nationally with uh, Congressman John Lewis. And then in the in the church world, in the Christian world with J.I. Packer, we wanted to reflect upon those this week. Uh, from this weekend. Well, coming up next, uh, an interesting clip I saw uh, on TNT this week, NBA on TNT that I wanted to share. We're going to listen to that and discuss it next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks so much for joining us on this Monday evening. 
Uh, as a reminder, find us on Facebook, The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Online at 1160hope.com. Get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, uh, rate, and review. We're grateful for those of you who do this. So uh, I was kind of scrolling through Twitter uh, over the weekend, and one of the follows I have there is NBA on TNT. If you ever watch NBA basketball on TNT, you know Ernie Johnson, Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Shaquille O'Neal, one of the best shows if you're a basketball fan. Uh, but Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley have been doing, and some of them, they've been doing interviews on their Twitter site ever since the pandemic began. And this past weekend, they did an interview with Rex Chapman. So let me kind of fill in the background of who Rex Chapman is, if that name doesn't ring a bell. Rex Chapman uh, was a star NBA basketball player at the University of Kentucky in the mid to late 1980s, then had, I believe, you know, a 12, 14 year, 12 or 14 year NBA career. Uh, but then post NBA, he got addicted to painkillers, to opioids that he's going to talk about in this clip. Uh, and he got uh, arrested for shoplifting. Uh, but now he is, uh, he has gotten the help he needs. He's, he's doing well. And randomly he started posting stuff on Twitter, just kind of feel good stuff called blocker charge. And he is a bit of a Twitter phenomenon right now. I would encourage you to follow <laughs> Rex Chapman. Uh, he's a Twitter phenomenon. So anyway, he was on with Ernie Johnson and Charles Barkley talking specifically about his life and more specifically about his addiction. And what I want you to hear is just what uh, Rex Chapman says about his low points and kind of what got him out of it and got him to where he is now. This is a three and a half minute clip. Uh, let's listen to Rex Chapman. And I got to tell you something, man. I saw, I believe it was an E60 from a three-year career and, you know, highs and lows and that kind of thing, man, that's, that story's good for your soul. Thanks, Ernie. Really. Uh, you know, and Chuck, I've known you since I was a teenager. So we go back like that. And he also knows, as you probably do too, I, I was never a party guy. I wasn't a smoker. I wasn't a drinker. And my last three years I had, or yeah, I had seven orthopedic surgeries. And uh, right at the end of my final year in 2000, doctor gave me a prescription for Oxycontin. That doctor gave me that Oxycontin and I was in love. Very quickly, I was in rehab. I've, I've tried to build back from there, but it, it took a long time back. And I can't thank you guys enough for all the love and support you've all, both of you guys have, have given me. I want to make sure that I reached out to you when things were going bad, because I wanted you to know you weren't alone. What was the low point for you? I got arrested in Phoenix for shoplifting at an Apple store. And when I say that, I still, it still makes me want to cry. Had not something not happened to me to jar me and get me to go, Hey, you got to get, get a hold of this. I, I don't, I think I would have, i probably wouldn't be here right now. Cause it, and it's taken you guys, it's taken love and support and so many friends and family lived on a, on a couple people's couches out in LA for a couple years. I lived in my car for a few days. Rick Patino came over and sat with me and Rick told me something and Rick's been through his stuff, man. And he said, listen, get through this stage and just know over the next few years, you're going to eat a lot of shit. He said, and it, at first it's going to feel like it's the size of a beach ball. You keep doing the next right thing. It's going to go down. It's going to be the size of a basketball. And then it's going to be the size of a softball and a baseball and a ping pong ball. And then it's going to, if you keep doing the next right thing, and for whatever reason, it stuck with me and it helped me get through those, you know, early days. 
I just tried to dedicate the last five years to doing the next right thing, showing my kids a better me. I can't even imagine the number of people who are listening to this who are saying, man, I needed to hear this. This happened about six months ago. I just wanted to tell you this. It, it gave me one of the best feelings I've, I've had in some time. I was going to work out and I really what I was going to the gym. And I don't, when I go to the gym, we don't want to talk. You don't want to talk to people. Yeah. And so I just had my head down and this kid behind the counter is probably 25 years old. And he, he uh, said, Hey, are you Rex? And I went, yeah. And I kind of went on by, went on in. I came back out and he said, Hey, Mr. Chapman. I said, yeah. And he goes, I'm sorry to bother you. I just wanted to tell you, my, you spoke at a place uh, where my dad was in rehab about six months ago and he's out and he's never been better. He, I'm so happy. He, you told it, you said a couple things that, that, Oh my God. And I just hugged him. I don't know the kid. I just hugged him and started crying. I said, Hey, thank you. Thank you for telling me that. I mean, and then he just, he wanted to tell me something to make me feel good. It was amazing. But I just want to tell you, man, I'm, I'm so proud of you. Uh, I've always liked you as a person, as a player, but now as a man. Yeah. You're not as worse. You're not as bad as your worst moment if you learn from it, if you learn from it. All right, Ian, I don't know how familiar you are with Rex Chapman, either the basketball player or the Twitter phenomenon, uh, but what did you think about his kind of reflecting upon his uh, dark times of his addiction? Well, before I answer that, I wanted to know if you saw this because of him tweeting it or because Scott Sauls tweeted it. Uh, the, I saw it because he tweeted it, but then today I saw Scott Sauls had tweeted it after I'd already grabbed it. <laughs> did, did, your, uh, did your little heart just implode? You're like, oh. It was uh, it was a converging of the world, wasn't it? <laughs> well, and well, part of Sauls was saying show. that he's, like, he's respected Rex Chapman for a while, but now he loves him and was like, I'd love to have a chance to meet you one day. And all these comments on Sauls' post were like, yes, please make that happen. That would be amazing. That's um, awesome. The the one quote that's from NBA uh, on on TNT just simply I think it kind of summarizes the whole thing. You're not as bad as your worst moment if you learn from it. Um, yeah. I would say that's true even if you don't learn from it. To be honest, that's more of maybe a theological conviction. You're more <laughs> than your best or worst moments. But it's been interesting even reading the comments from that original post because a lot of people, especially like mental health experts, have been weighing in saying, "Hey, Rex, just so you know." Uh, your story and your changed life has been an encouragement to thousands of people. And I think it is interesting because you, I think you recommended I follow him probably when we started the show because of all the blocker charge stuff, which is funny. It's definitely funny. Uh, But he's been posting more lately about some of his own kind of story and his own history and how he's, how he's kind of turned things around. And it's been remarkable to see Twitter's not really known for being a place of like vulnerability or, or, or even just like helpful dialogue, to be honest. And it's yeah. been interesting to kind of watch people respond to a guy that, you know, often is just posting funny things. Um, but then I think of like, I'm looking at Scott Saul's tweet now, and half the people are like, this is awesome. I would love to see these two meet. Other people are like, oh, be like one guy wrote, be careful with that one, Scott. I'm not hating. I'm just saying, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm curious what you think is behind that. Uh, uh, Rex Chapman, if you follow him on Twitter, is uh, is not a fan of our president. And I would suspect that has something to do with it mm. for some people. He tends to be he's not a believer, which is fine. But I guess some people commenting to Saul's might also be going down that pathway as well. 
so that could be it. I love his takeaway too about uh, keep doing the right thing and then do the next right thing and then yeah. do the next right thing and then do the next right thing. Uh, and that that's what uh, that got him um, kind of moving in the right direction. So I found this fascinating. And you did highlight that story where the kid said, my dad is so much better because of you. And Rex Chapman just hugs him and then says, you won't be defined by your worst moment. It's just so powerful. So hopefully you found this inspiring as well. He is a good Twitter follow. Um, and uh, yeah, just wanted you to be able to hear that. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to be joined by Nancy Thiemann, uh, the Associate Director of Kids Against Hunger. That's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you joining us. Uh, and we're really excited to be joined on the phone right now by Nancy Thiemann. Nancy is the Associate Director of Kids Against Hunger. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It is certainly our pleasure. Could you introduce yourself to our audience, however you see fit? <laughs> sure. Uh, <laughs> I have been a volunteer with Kids Against Hunger for nine years now, my husband and my daughter and I, and um, we're having a ball. We uh, enjoy giving back, and uh, I brought my love of being a race director to the uh, to Kids Against Hunger, and now I'm on the board, and so it just keeps flourishing into more and more things. So now I'm the associate director and uh, enjoying it. That's awesome. Okay, so as you sort of alluded to, you have an event coming up in August that we're going to get to, but before we do, could you explain to people a little more about what Kids Against Hunger actually does? Like, what is the organization really about? So Kids Against Hunger, uh, you know, our goal is to rid the world of hunger. And we package a highly nutritious, vitamin-fortified soy, rice, like a casserole. And uh, in the United States, we'd probably add some hot sauce and chicken and things like that to it. But basically, you just have to add water. And so this, uh, this nutritious uh, food goes all over the world. And it uh, makes children that are starving uh, into thriving, beautiful human beings again. And uh, we package it at uh, our facility in Roselle, Illinois. And uh, there's over 50 satellites uh, in the United States that do this. And um, we do it in our warehouse and then we ship it out. Hmm. So. I'm wondering uh, how much of an issue is childhood hunger in the United States? Uh, unfortunately, especially with the pandemic, it's, it's increasing and, uh, every day. I mean, Mm. it's, it's, Mm. um, it's rough. It's rough in the United States and it's rough internationally. A lot of times people will see it as, uh, they're starving internationally in some of these, uh, remote and, um, poor, uh, countries and for us that we're hungry. But you really never know, you know. I mean, we've got kids every day going to schools and needing those meals. Mm. Um, and so 
we many kids against hungers will actually work with the school system uh especially during this pandemic over the summer so it's mm. it's unfortunately it's crazy and it's uh feeding them is a is a big need right now yeah and and i've i've personally worked with kids against hunger for years and the operation and the mission and the heartbeat behind the whole thing, I, I honestly just think is wonderful. And I think I think you all do incredible work. As I mentioned earlier, you have an event coming up uh, toward the end of August, August 21st to the 23rd. And it's a little bit of like a choose your own adventure kind of race, which I've, I don't know that I've ever seen before, but it's for a really wonderful <laughs> cause. Could you talk to us a little bit more about that event? Oh, for sure. So this will be our sixth annual race to stop hunger. And traditionally, this is a 5K race. Okay. And this year, uh, I saw that, you know, hey, let's make it a weekend event. Let's mm. give everybody three days to to find the time in their schedule that works for them. And also, not just to do a 5K, but if your go-to is a 10K or a half or you're training for a marathon – um, or you're not a runner or walker at all, you're a biker. So this year we expanded the whole race to give people the opportunity to really do what they love hmm. and to get out there, social distance. So this year we're doing a 5K, which is 3.1 miles, a 10K, which is 6.2, a half, which is 13.1, and a full marathon, which is 26.2. And we're doing it in both running and walking and in biking. And so, yeah. So instead of me being at the race site and and being in all of the hoopla and and chaos and wonderful energy, and um, I actually get to go out on a bike this year and and do a half marathon. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And Nancy, I'm curious, uh, other than the race, what are ways that churches or individuals could get involved? If they're listening to you talk and they're like, man, Kids Against Hunger sounds like something I want to be a part of. What are other ways that people can get connected and help out? Well, this year, if uh, the race is one way, of course, but you can also, if somebody in your family wants to do the race and others want, may not be that, you know, want to do that, but they can donate, people can fundraise uh, for their race individually. Um, people can also do donating like through birthdays or mm. Um, their businesses, of course, we do sponsorships for the race and we're always looking for great sponsors for the race. And we have a lot of cool things to give back to them, Hmm. but, um, but people, I mean, we've done some really cool things like with a local baker this year, we did a fundraiser and, and she got her name out there and the, the profits came to us. And so Hmm. It's a way that we can do, we can bring businesses back and uh, tag us in there as well. So people not only are, are giving back to these sponsors, but they're also giving uh, to the millions of people that really need this food yeah. and, and need this nutrition. But I, I kind of like that. Um, yeah. But we do pack. And unfortunately, right now, just our board of directors are packing. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we love school groups and 
um, big um, organizations. We go offsite, we come to your facility, uh, we bring the materials, we bring manpower, and we have a feel good, awesome time to feed kids. And so uh, that's a wonderful way to do it. And in our warehouse, uh, people can come locally and do it. I, I do remember the very fact that you came to wherever the group organization was was sort of a game changer for us because when I was a youth pastor, we would host lock-ins and stuff, but travel yeah. for you know a big group of kids was a nightmare. But kids mm-hmm. against hunger would come and they brought all the materials and the tables. They gave they like cast vision for what we were doing and how many lives this was going to impact. And it was it honestly became like the highlight of most of our student events was partnering mm-hmm. with Kids Against Hunger, and that that's just been remarkable for me to see kids and families light up, you know, serving and giving back. And I know that we only have about a minute or so left, but where, where can people go to learn more either about the organization or about the event specifically, just go ahead and hit us with every email or website you can think of. (laughs) Okay. So I'm just going to send you to ours and think about our name, kids against hunger, Fox Valley. And so the email is actually K a H dash F v.org so it's kah-fv.org on our website you can see how to volunteer you can see stuff about our race and you can also see things that we've done in the past we shipped a bunch of meals to detroit this uh Mm. during covid and our stories on that as well so i love that nancy we're really glad that you joined us today we hope that your event goes really well again you can get the info at kah.fv.org. Uh, this very uh, creative way of doing a race in the midst of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic that we find ourselves. So Nancy Thiemann, Associate Director of Kids Against Hunger. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, gentlemen. Absolutely our pleasure. You're listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of piqued with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me, who was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link, and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began, because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Well, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. We're coming to the end of the show here. And uh, something Ian introduced uh, earlier in our kind of whole time with the pandemic, when we were all just kind of more locked in our homes, uh, I, I'm very appreciative. Ian got us to uh, got me to know the Good News Network, goodnewsnetwork.org, and uh, just trying to give happy stories, some good news in the midst of all that is going on around us. 
And so I thought that'd be a fun way to end today's show. Just a list from this, uh, a bunch of stories from this site to share some good news, some happy news. I mean, I'm going to have you read the first one, but did I mention the good news that I'm going on vacation tomorrow? Did we mention that? No, I did not know that. (laughs) It might be good news for both of us. I'm not sure, but it's at least good news for me. So uh, I will miss the show. I will miss you guys, but uh, a much needed rest and relaxation and some fun for my family. So uh, I do appreciate you. I always say this, uh, taking over the show when I'm gone and uh, knowing that uh, that you have the ability to do it and you usually bring on people who are smarter than either of us. So I guess I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> that is the goal. Absolutely. And this this first story seems strange, actually, for Good News Network. It says uh, local radio host abandons co-host to go on vacation again. <laughs> and it's just a big picture of Brian Fromm. It's how did you get I didn't realize you were this big. This is amazing. All right. Good uh, news. <laughs> No, it says that giant floating balloons will bring internet access to 20,000 square miles in remote Kenya. That's incredible. Some of the most remote remote parts of Kenya will be showered with internet connectivity thanks to a fleet of giant balloons deployed by Google. You got to look at this picture. The tech company's Loon project will be using large airborne balloons that are in constant motion to broadcast mobile internet at download speeds of up to 18.9. That's incredible, actually. I didn't realize You could even do that with roughly 72% of the East African nation's 1.2 billion people living without internet. The project aims to close that gap with 4G LTE connectivity. This is the first deployment of Google's Loom balloons in Africa after having already been deployed to provide mobile data uh, to the entire island, island nation of Sri Lanka, as well as Puerto Rico in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. I did not know any of that. That's amazing. No. Not at all. The next one, this is uh, for all you pastors out there. This is a sermon uh, illustration, if I ever read one. Charitable donations, donors in U.S. give record amount as support surges in the first six months of 2020. Hmm. Donations surged nearly 50% in the first half of 2020, the most generous giving recorded in the history of one of America's largest philanthropic funds. In response to the immense needs created by the COVID-19 pandemic, a resulting economic downturn and a period of deep social unrest, Schwab charitable donors have been granting at a record pace to support impacted communities. From January through June 2020, donors earmarked over $1.7 billion in aid, marking a 46% increase in dollars granted compared to the same period last year. They doled out 330,000 separate grants, which represents the fastest pace of growth in Schwab charitable history. And so, again, this is just one organization, but to the backwardness, right, of uh, of economic downturn, pandemic, social unrest, at the same time, people giving and giving, I think, really speaks to the power of giving and uh, people's uh, willingness to help others in need. Yeah, that's remarkable, man. This next one, you, you got to kind of see the image. I guess I said that for the first one. It says, who projected a smiley face on London's parliament across from a hospital last night? This is a couple days old. An image of a smiley face was projected onto the House of Parliament to spread an uplifting message of positivity during tough times. Any smile, but especially one that is 27 yards wide, can go a long way to cheering people up, especially when it's directly across the river from a hospital. The lipstick wearing smiley was beamed onto the famous structure last night. On the eve of World Emoji Day, didn't know that was a thing, the positive image was in full view of St. Thomas's Hospital, and it stood as a reminder of how good it feels to smile. Passerby who saw the images last night said it brightened up their evening considerably. And then here's a quote. Seeing the smiley made me laugh, said Dave Crawford. 
It's also opposite a hospital, and you hope that people get to look out and see it. Not really uh, like a groundbreaking story, but it's just like a it's a feel good moment. It's a joy for the sake of joy kind of story, and the image is actually it's pretty remarkable. Yeah, it'd be kind of freaky if you had no idea what was going on and you drove by it and you're like, "Whoa, <laughs> what is yeah, happening?" You should, you should see that picture. The next one says this. Brides across America begin donating wedding gowns to support the marriages of frontline healthcare workers. Wow. A nonprofit based in Massachusetts has begun donating bridal gowns to frontline healthcare workers who need a little help with their wedding plans. Brides across America usually donates gowns to military couples or first responders. But since the country's medical professionals are now risking their lives every day in the fight against the coronavirus, They've shown they more than qualify as heroes in their own right. We just wanted to do something to give back and at least say, hey, we're thinking of you, said uh, the founder, Heidi Jansen. They're putting their lives on the line, just like the military or first responders. So this was our way to give back to them. We just thought it lined up nicely with our mission. Every year since, 20, oh, since 2008, uh, Brides Across America has donated around 2,000 wedding dresses, totaling 25,000 gowns over their history to brides. Wow. Their wow. headquarters is in Andover, Massachusetts. But for heroes further afield, uh, BAA ships dresses, dress collections to local boutiques or event spaces across the country and holds events that uh, allow future brides to browse the donations. Whenever BAA offers a beautiful free gown, it can take a huge burden off the shoulder of brides to be the girls are so happy she said they're like i'm working i'm planning a wedding i don't really have time to find a dress they just can't believe it's free what a cool uh what a cool organization that is and something you wouldn't really think about but is a huge blessing to people yeah people blow my mind man that's amazing that people not only think of stuff like that but then have the bandwidth and creativity to actually troubleshoot and find a solution that's right uh, this last one, we're going to end with some really hard-hitting news. Uh, <laughs> what your ice cream preference says about your personality. It's National Ice Cream Day. <laughs> I'm actually going to read this whole thing, though, because it's actually, I'm sure it's mostly hocus-pocus, but it's kind of interesting. Uh, yes. Does your ice cream choice say anything about your personality? A fun poll of 2,000 adults. I like that they called it a fun poll, not just a poll. Yep. Uh, 2,000 adults aimed to discover if there were any differences between Americans who preferred vanilla, chocolate, or strawberry. Uh, basing the survey around the nation's top three top flavors. Top three top flavors is bad grammar. It found that on average, if you like doing laundry, watching a sci-fi movie, and listening to the soothing sound of jazz, then you are likely a strawberry ice cream fan. However, when playing truth or dare, it's the vanilla fans who won't hesitate to say dare, while chocolate ice cream lovers prefer choosing to tell a truth. The study conducted <laughs> by one poll, who apparently was super bored, in conjunction with Breyer, well, that makes sense, uh, also yep. found vanilla ice cream lovers are on average more introverted, prefer dogs over cats, prefer washing dishes over doing laundry, and are night owls. <laughs> what the heck? Chocolate <laughs> ice cream lovers, on the other hand, are more extroverted, enjoy a romantic comedy, and love listening to pop music. Chocolate ice cream lovers also tend <laughs> to have more variety in their interests. In addition to pop music, chocolate ice cream lovers also like rock and R&B. This is starting to read like a singles ad. Strawberry uh, respondents were more likely to find love earlier than their chocolate or vanilla loving counterparts. A full two years before chocolate lovers, strawberry, strawberry people on average found love at 24 years of age, one year before vanilla lovers. When it comes to the ideal way to enjoy ice cream, Americans prefer their, uh, their scoops in cups topped with three different toppings. Here we go. And I'll stop with this. 
because I think we're out of time. Uh, chocolate chip <laughs> rank as the number one ice cream topping in the survey, followed by hot fudge, 49%, nuts, 40%, whipped cream, 37%, and caramel, 35%. My goodness. I don't know if this really qualifies as good news. But it's it's sort interesting. Of interesting. Yeah, interesting. It's interesting. Brian Fromm would, chose this one, just to say it on record. It's true. And I would choose vanilla with caramel on it. That's what I would go with. And I don't know how much that fits me, but you know what? It makes for uh, interesting. And uh, well, Briar's got some. Get real quick. You, you found love. How early did you get married? 22. You also prefer dogs, right? I do. Yep. Are you a night owl? Eh, less and less as I'm older. I do prefer washing dishes <laughs> over doing laundry. So, you know, part of this wow, could just be like that... a roll of the dice, you know? <laughs> Oh, that's fun. A fun way to end the day. Hopefully you got some good news there as well. Put a smile on your face. And uh, we are, what you said? Oh, thought you said something. We are grateful that you joined us today again for Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. I'll miss you while I'm on vacation, but Ian, I'm grateful that you are going to continue doing the show. So you can join Ian and all of his collection of guest hosts from four until six each day. But for Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.